Hi, Chris. How are you? Good afternoon, Rod. Yep, all is well in the Christmas household. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's clearly festive here. Getting over my my rubbish tree from last week. I've got two other trees up. They look quite nice. It's gone down quite well. Christmas dinner has been eaten. The turkey is actually all gone, which I'm very pleased about. Normally the remnants hang around for days and days and days, but we only get one extra day out of unboxing day, so we're back to normal eating pretty much. Yeah, snap. We we didn't do turkey this year. We may or may not have done festive pizzas instead. Which was controversial. That is controversial. We did Christmas Eve pizzas from Domino's, but not a sponsor of the podcast. But yeah, that's interesting. Festive pizzas, what's that? So we got an uni pizza oven, again, not a sponsor. So we made, I made, made some pizza dough Christmas morning, let that prove while we did all the presents and stuff, and then we rolled it all out. And then did a tomato base with cranberry, followed by some cheese, and then we put pigs and blankets on the top, followed by some more cranberry and a few sprouts that we'd already fried off in the pan, and then popped all that in the pizza oven. And then five minutes later, you've got your festive pizza, add a bit of rocket, maybe a bit of fresh cranberry, and off you go. So it was actually pretty good, and it meant we didn't have to fight with our children to get them to eat a roast dinner that they really didn't want. So I'd put it down as a win, and I quite enjoyed it, if I'm honest. Well, it's different. I'll give you that. I mean, it's unconventional, but you know, if it worked with the kids, then what could be wrong, really? You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cast aspersions at you for for doing that. If I got the kids to eat almost a roast dinner on a nice bready base, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, it was all right. I enjoyed it. But you know what? It was quite nice to do something different. It was just the four of us. And then Boxing Day was the usually in our household, which is bubbling squeak and the leftovers. Wow, nice. Oh well, good. So good. Good, very good. Yeah, no, strictly traditional here. My kids are now old enough that they just eat the sprouts, although there is still a negotiation about how many they have to eat, which amuses me no end. And then the customary fight over the pigs and blankets. So, yeah, good. Can't beat pigs and blankets. My son took all the bacon <coughs> off his pigs and blankets. So I should have just done him some sausages <laughs> in hindsight. Fair enough. Excellent. Okay. This is Wake From Sleep, episode 49 for the 27th of December, 2022. Should we swiftly move along? People get busy at this time of year. They probably don't want to listen to us rabbit for an hour and a half on the podcast, but we can hopefully give them some interesting stuff between Christmas and New Year's. So follow up. First item's yours. So yeah, straight into 16.2. So we were there we were telling everybody 16.2 is the version to get. It's widely should move, you know, upgrade to iOS 16, iPad, Mac 13 point whatever, 13.1. And yeah, Apple have now pulled that in-home architecture piece. So I was talking how I'd upgraded my home to the new architecture. It didn't seem to do much, but I thought it made it snappier. And it, they've now pulled it because people are complaining about it by, by the looks of things. So I've not seen any issues. I'm glad I've done the upgrade. It doesn't seem to have done anything for me, but it's a bit worrying. I'm a bit worried now I'm on it. Am I going to now see issues? So uh, they've obviously pulled it. There's obviously a problem. People's accessories weren't appearing. I didn't have that problem, but I don't have a terribly complicated home, I must say. I've just got a bunch of lights on it and a bunch of blinds predominantly. Oh, and my heating system's on it, and that, that's been working flawlessly. To be fair, to set the temperature in the house, which obviously I've been using quite a lot in the in the winter season. How about you? Did you upgrade to it? Well, I never got presented with the option to upgrade, frankly, which I sort of alluded to last week when I did the upgrade to my HomePods, which still isn't right. I still can't ask Siri to play music directly from my HomePods. I have to initiate it every single time from my phone and you know click share with AirPlay, which just is driving me mental. I might need to completely remove them and re-add them again, but I just think that's unacceptable, frankly, and and frankly. It kind of adds on to a little thing I see in music all the time anyway, which is I'll open up music on my Mac or or whatever it's called on the phone. I think it's also called music these days on the phone. Tap a song to play and I'll say this content is unauthorized. And if I tap it again, it works. 
but I wonder if it's related to that, but I, I couldn't say for sure. Anyway, HomePod's not working, not offered the upgrade, so I don't have this to step back from. Obviously, it's not going to appear now given this, but it seems to have been a fairly widespread problem. It seems to mostly focus around when you're trying to add other people into your house. So maybe if you've got an Airbnb property, you're adding people on home to that, you've got multiple homes in your device, and then people are unable to see some of the devices within it. So maybe that's why you're not seeing problems. Yeah, it could be. And like I say, very simple house, just me, my wife and my children and not many devices. It's frustrating though, isn't it? Because this was meant to be the year that Matter came out and nothing's really happened with Matter. Apple's upgraded the home architecture and they'll pull it. It's just a bit disappointing. I think the, the home stuff doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I had an interesting thing pop up on the network settings on my Mac, though. So, you know, in your Finder tabs, you've got your drop-in applications and desktop and all that kind of stuff. And if you click on the network settings, I can see the other Macs in the house as well as my NAS share and all the rest of it. I now have a network share called openthread.thread.home.arpa. So I, I presume that's some, something to do with the thread radios that are in the house somewhere. I've got exactly the same because I was, as we talked in the previous show about time machine backups, I noticed that too. I didn't really know what it was, and so just just ignored it to be honest. But I assume, yeah, like like you, it's it's going to be all related. Yeah. So anyway, this isn't the greatest update, and you know we were kind of knocking Apple last week about the sort of quality of their software, really, and this sort of speaks to that that they push an update, and it has been in beta for quite a while, the sixteen point two beta. So it's interesting that they've had to pull it back and left those people who have upgraded their homes potentially with problems or in devices that have presumably worked reliably for a long time. Yeah, whilst it was in beer for a long time, you couldn't upgrade your home, though, until the HomePod software came out. So I couldn't actually do the upgrade whilst it was in beta, if that makes sense. So, And also, on your point, you weren't presented with it. I don't think they were pushing this screen to people. You had to go and seek it out. So maybe they knew it wasn't quite right. Well, they hadn't done enough testing with it. And it's a hard thing to test to get people to upgrade their home. And most people probably won't go and find it, even if it was still active because they wouldn't know about it. It's probably more just the techies, and then they probably need the techies to do it to make sure it's okay, and then they would then push it to the regular users, I guess. Maybe, but I don't think it's a good look. I mean, when you think of the way they tested APFS, APFS when it came out before, when they silently upgraded everybody's phones to it and then rolled it back during updates, and now nobody knew, that's how you do a test and you get your feedback and it's working and all the rest of it. But to put this out, break a bunch of things and then stop it stop appearing everywhere, that's less good. Yeah, it is a bit rubbish. And for those that don't know, APFS is the Apple file system. We run it on all our iPhones, iPads, Macs, etc., watches even. And it was something they upgraded many years ago. And they, what they did in one of the up, updates was upgrade his phone to APFS without you knowing about it and then rolled it back. They gathered lots of data before they then rolled it out for real to everybody. Very successful. Nobody ever really noticed that the whole file system has changed, which is normally a major upgrade, but they've pulled it off on all of the Apple OSs. And it's, I think it's clearly set them up for the future because nobody's complaining about the file system structure anymore. Yeah, but they need to stick to that method of trying updates, I think. You know, some sort of silent update in people's houses to see how this would be received. If a device, you know, here's the state of the network before you put the thread thing in. Here's the state of it, you know, after or however you, however you do it. Anyway, doesn't really matter. Not a good look. Shame that it's not working. Glad you're not having issues, and I hope anybody who has updated to this in the meantime is also not having issues. Next issue is also yours. I'm getting away with a lot of follow-up these last couple of weeks. Email migration. Yeah, this one's me. So this is a long-term one. So a while ago, we discussed how I put a custom domain on my iCloud, set it up for myself and my two children. And I didn't tackle my wife's because her Apple ID was her Gmail username in essence. And I thought it was going to be scary to do it. Anyway, I took the opportunity yesterday, being Boxing Day here in the UK, to 
make the most of being at home. And I thought, I want to upgrade my wife while I'm with her a lot, not when she's at work and I'm at work and if there's a problem. So what did I do here? Logged into her, used her phone, set up a new Apple ID, but that wouldn't work. So I, I, luckily I got her a phone for Christmas. I had to go onto her old phone, sign it out of iCloud, sign it back in, and then I could change her Apple ID to be a regular at iCloud one. So I did first name, middle initial, last name, same format as my children, so I can remember it. That then switched her off of using her Gmail email address as Apple ID over to a regular iCloud.com one. Then I could then give her the custom domain, which was first name at last name dot FYI. So that's all set up. And then you can then actually go into Apple ID Apple.com and go make that my Apple ID. So you've still got your iCloud.com one in the background. And so both our Apple IDs are our custom domain. Set all that up, added iCloud email onto her phone and her laptop, removed her Gmail off her phone. And then I've gone onto her laptop and just dragged all the email over from her Gmail account into her new custom domain iCloud email. And it's currently still moving it all, all 50,000 emails over. But hopefully come the end of today, all her email will be on her iCloud mailbox. I've logged into a Gmail account and set a forward on it just to archive all emails that come in, but forward them over. And then it will then be her task to move things like Amazon, Marks and Spencers, you know, all those kinds of sites over to a new email address over time. And then we can slowly move away from using our old one and then ultimately delete delete that Gmail account, a, you know, a year from now, say, or two years from now. So is this a thing she asked for or is this a thing you're inflicting on her? A little bit of both, I think. She was like, oh, why have you and the boys got nice email addresses? I think we should all be the same. I said, no, I agree. But also I inflicted it because I wanted to get away from Gmail. I've never really understood how Gmail works. So I've never really been a user of it. Where on the Mac in Mail, it downloads all the different folders the, with the square brackets on and things. And I thought, Do you know what? We actually don't need very complicated email. So, so I thought it'd be beneficial to put everybody on the same platform. Yeah, that's 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 fair enough, I guess. And I'm, I mean, I'm partially there myself. As we, I don't know if we have talked about it in the show actually, but I started moving my email to my own domain, out of Gmail as well, which I'm sort of, I don't know, about a third of the way in the process of. Every so often, you still get an email to Gmail. You think I haven't moved that account over yet, be it from an insurance company or be it from, you know, a company you've bought stuff off in the past. And it's quite nice not having all the spam flooding in at my new email inbox. I must say that's quite a nice touch. I think I'd struggle more to move other members of the family off it because they're so comfortable with it. And it's an interesting thing you say about Apple Mail and Gmail. If you use Mail Client, it's dreadful. All the spam comes in, absolutely everything comes in from that thing. Whereas if you use uh, Mimecast or one of the sort of better clients for it that isn't Apple Mail, it respects Gmail's sort of flags for setting this is spam, this is a folder, this is you know how, how, a particular tag on an email or something like that. So I'd say Apple Mail's client is not the best thing to be using if you wanted to stay in the Gmail world because it just, as you said, downloads everything and it's a real problem. Whereas something like Mimecast, which is currently still free and in beta and is in a really good app, works well for those that want to stay in Gmail and don't want to see the hundreds and hundreds of nonsense emails that come in through your Gmail. I think I'd have more trouble moving her email client than I would her actual email address because she's used Apple Mail for ages on the Mac and she's got an iPhone. So I, this is probably the the easier route. And it also just means everybody in the, the four of us all set up in the same way. So it should hopefully a year from now, two years from now, make my life a bit easier in that everybody's got the same format email address. I've set their Apple IDs in the same way. Assuming we're still on Apple in a couple of years' time. Um, but everybody's set up the same way, so when I have to do IT support, it should be a little bit easier. So hopefully I've done the right thing. But it's done, and it was actually not that scary because I've put a forward on her Gmail account. I think it would take her longer to come off her Gmail account because there's a forward there. You're not manually having to go and do every other email. But 
I think ultimately that will be the best experience for her. But it's nice to have it done. It's, it was one of those Christmas things I just wanted to get out of the way. Do you think she'll remember when somebody asks her what her email address is? The... Probably not, because she's had, I don't know, 10 years of the old one. This so, muscle, I'm uh, thinking the muscle memory there about what your email address is is fairly baked in. Yeah, and if, if my parents weren't using the old the same domain name that she was using for a Gmail one, I would have probably just moved that domain over to Apple. But because my parents and I are split on the family setup in Apple, I thought that would be more complicated to do. But that, that would have been the ultimate, just to move, move that one over and add it on as an alias to her now iCloud email account. But anyway, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I'm happy to be off Google for one more thing. Fair enough. Good. Okay. I think that'll do us for follow-up. Moving on, news and rumors. And this first one is one I came across when I was looking through the web last week that just sort of really caught my eye in terms of privacy and AI and how cameras are being used going forward. So this is a story that's in the New York Times. You should be able to read this one without a subscription if you haven't been there recently. And it's Madison Square Garden, which is an entertainment venue in New York City. I've stayed in a hotel opposite Madison Square Garden, actually. It's, 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 a, it's a big old place. Using facial recognition to ban its owner's enemies. So this is basically a lawyer that had been involved in litigation against MSG Entertainment, which owns Madison Square Garden, was denied access when the camera scanned them as they were walking in. So it recognised their face, and they were denied access. I just think this is an incredible use of this kind of technology. I know that the police here in South Wales have used it at big events and things like that, concerts and stuff. They have facial recognition looking for known felons as they're approaching a ground. I know it's controversial to be using this kind of, of technology, but this, because you happen to have sued somebody in the past or been involved with this, this sets a really dangerous precedent, I think. It feels like Twitter, but in 3D, like in real life. It's, I don't know. I don't think I like this one. I don't like it at all. You know, the, the, this this lady was taking her nine-year-old daughter's Girl Scout troop to, you know, on a trip to Manhattan to see the Christmas Spectacular. Before she even got in, you know, they, they wouldn't they denied her access, and that's not just spoiling her day, which may be fair enough, I suppose, if they if she was particularly litigious, but it's spoiling a whole bunch of kids, and I don't think that's a good look. No, it's not a good look, and it's a bit creepy, isn't it? It's taking it to another level. I don't think I like this one. It just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I mean, there's a quite a good quote in the article. It's a dystopian, shocking act of repression. I mean, it really is, isn't it? You know, the, the fact that a private company can get the software well enough running on their cameras that it can flag people of problematic intent to the owners of the company. In, in, you know, they're a private company, I guess, in some senses they can do what they like as soon as you're on their property. But where does this end? You know, you know, you, you walk in buy, to buy a coffee from someone, and just because somebody in your family was currently suing them or something, you're denied coffee. I mean, it's it's just I think it's horrifying. Yeah, no, it's awful, awful. And like I said, it's taking Twitter into the real world. I don't like it. I think no, it doesn't sit right with me at all. Yeah, I mean, in New York State, this use of AI for facial recognition is legal, and I suspect in other parts of America it's not, and it's probably on a county level there because they're even more complicated than we are. But as I say, I know something similar has been used in South Wales for uh, certainly some concerts I've been to recently where there have been the camera vans parked at the entrances to Singleton Park, local to us, and they've you know just been actively scanning for felons and they've done it at some rugby matches as well. I feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable with the police using it, but not a whole hell of a lot more comfortable. And I think private firms using this are, it's, 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 we're on a precipice of something quite worrying. Yeah, it depends on what the criteria you're using for to pick people out. If it's because somebody's wanted in relation to a crime, I think that's a good use of it. If it's because you had a grudge with somebody five years ago, I don't think that's a great use of it. I, I can get behind that they're a known criminal or they're wanted in an investigation or an inquiry. Surely that's a legitimate reason, but it's a fine line, I think. 
I agree with you. Yeah, so I think this is something we should keep our eyes on for similar stories, frankly, because it's you could see this kind of thing coming. I mean, we're, we're about to talk shortly about police misusing other kinds of data anyway, so I think it'll actually segue quite nicely into, into the other. So let's keep that thought about private companies misusing this kind of technology. And if we go on to the next story, which is one I came across from the Associated Press, so a reputable news source, about police seizing COVID-19 data to expand a global surveillance network. And this was something that was observed in, in Israel and in Jerusalem, with the police coming in and visiting, or getting a text message on his phone from the police saying, you have been spotted as, as having participated in acts of violence at the Alaska Mosque, in Arabic. We will hold you accountable. And they'd They've been able to place him near the mosque when presumably with some sort of atrocity took place because of the COVID data he was supplying on his phone. Uh, that is a misuse, surely. That's not right. If you want people to sign up for medical stuff because we're in a pandemic and then you're using it for other purposes, but is that just because his location was near it? Does that mean that he was actually involved in whatever crimes took place. Well, it's worth having a, a more detailed read of the article. Ramlawi, who was then 19, was among hundreds of people who, who people who civil rights attorneys estimate got the text last year at the height of one of the most turbulent periods of unrest in the Holy Land. Because he lived or worked in the neighbourhood is the reason he got he got by as being part of this. And, uh, you know, I, we, we were just saying you can understand how the police, you know, may be able to use these kinds of technologies such as AI or, or the rest of it. to be, But I think this is a shocking misuse of people's healthcare data. It's it's not related. I just, I, yeah, it does link very well to the first one. You've got two unrelated things here. I'm not comfortable with either of these, and it shows you're not even aware that these cameras are there and what they're doing and and how good they've got. I was visiting a technology partner recently in the UK, and they they've got technology, and you can use it on a building site to show, you know, has somebody got a hard hat on? Are they wearing the right level of high visibility and safety goggles? I think that's great use. That's you know, we want to be safe and secure. You look at the camera, it goes, yep, you're you're safe to enter the site. Oh, no, you've not got your hard out. You need to do it. I think it's good use. That's anonymous, by the way. It's not not picking up people's faces, just detecting what's on your body. I thought that was quite neat, whereas this is quite scary, I think is what I'm going to say. I wouldn't disagree. It's quite scary. If you think in this country alone, how many people took part in the Zoe app and freely contributed their healthcare data and everything to this. And as a researcher who collects personal information from people and how sensitively we treat that, we anonymize it, who gets access to it, the levels of security it needs to go through. You'll be exactly the same with, you know, suppliers, people who purchase houses, all, the, all that kind of stuff that goes on in your site and how carefully we need to treat this. But if you're a governmental agency, you shouldn't be given carte blanche just to mine around in people's data and do it. It's such a breach of people's trust. And you think how vulnerable people were during COVID and how willing they were to supply this kind of information to people in order to try and restore some sort of normality. This It's just, I think it's an egregious, I use this word a lot on this podcast, it's an egregious breach of people's civil liberties, it infringes on what they do, and I think law enforcement has no right to have this kind of data. No, I'd agree. And if you want people to partake in the health studies for the greater good, then this you're now put, setting that back a number of years because people think, well, you, it's not just for health, is it? You're using it for other purposes, nefarious purposes, potentially. Mm. Yeah, that they didn't agree to be part of. Anyway, again, I think it's another interesting story and you know, we're in, we're in danger of going into things that are interesting in technology more than anything, but all these things play a part, I think, you know, as... Apple's on-device stuff gets better. So that, you know, we've talked about the defuzzing algorithm they've got built into the cameras these days. So pet hair comes out and looks natural, or a fuzzy jumper comes out and looks natural. 
as more and more of that is acceptable or used within your phone or used within your Mac or used within various services that we all do every day, I think it's important to think of the wider sort of implications of things like, like this or the chat GPT thing that's been in the news an awful lot recently, which is being able to sort of complete people's sentence for them or answering questions in a sensible way. You know, it's going to become more pervasive. And I think it's on us who have an interest in the technology space to report back on where it's gone a bit too far because I think it's going to happen increasingly. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Should we move on to batteries? Let's move on to batteries. Something a little less contentious and probably something we could get behind. So this is a story in 9to5Mac from December 21st, so last week, about the EU proposing a law, not making a law at this point, where battery recycling, or at least battery replacement, should be more easily achieved by consumers. So I think what they're angling towards in this sort of proposal is back to the day of the Nokia phone, where you could just slide the back off, knock a battery out, bang in another one, close the plastic back and move on with your life once your batteries started, started getting a little bit worn. So I think in principle, that's not a bad thing. In reality, I think it's going to be almost impossible. Feels like a no-brainer. Why couldn't I just pop the back off my phone? popping a new battery my mum's battery's going i'm trying to work out how can i get a battery replacement without spending a fortune and i've never wanted to take an iphone to pieces because it's just too complicated but surely with all of apple's smarts that they could do this does this just mean phones though what about mice what about my trackpad my keyboard it's a other device here i think it'd be great to have more user serviceable batteries that don't require a whole set of tools to, to do it yeah that's my view i think it's a no-brainer it's not just a set of tools is it if you remember the story we covered when the fair use law came into america they'd actually sell you a toolkit or hire you a toolkit with all the right equipment in order to do a battery replacement which i think recently expanded to, to the to europe and the uk actually so i'm sure apple's argument would be but we do do this you can you can buy our four grand kit or whatever it costs in the uk and you know do all these things yourself I would very much disagree that most users should ever go anywhere near anything like this, though. No, I don't think that is for most users. Taking it to bits and putting it back and having it fit, have the fit and finish that it came with. No, they can surely come up with a much better way of doing this. I'm sure Apple, of all the companies, could make a slideable back or front or whatever it needs to be and have a mechanism to do it. So I love the screenshot in the, or the sorry, not the screenshot, the picture in the article that you've linked to, because it still amazed me how, all the little components packed into the iPhone, how much is in there, and it all seems to work. It's very cool. It is. I think I'm, I'm with you. I'd love to see that this was a possible thing, that they could do this, and I'd accept a slightly thicker phone if it meant I could pop the back off a little bit more easily and just change the battery. I, I mean, yeah, no, agreed. I'd love to be able to just pop a new battery in just because it's it's getting a bit, you know, it's not fantastic. It's down to 80% charge. I'll stick a new one in it. Why, why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. So it's something I'd get behind. I can't, I'm can't. i sure all the technology companies would fight back, though, because none of them really allow user-replaceable batteries at this point. Samsung, Apple, Google themselves, or their batteries are all glued in and very, very hard to get to, which does make them more, more compact. But it's not in the ethos of better recycling. For you know, Apple is trying to push big green credentials these days, where you know the, the, so much of the previous versions of the iPhone could be recycled and made into new ones, and the packaging now comes without any plastic and all that kind of stuff. So being able to only change the battery and keep the phone going for another three, four, five years, that's great. It does stop you having to having potentially to upgrade your phone because I'm sure a lot of people come at the point where the battery is so useless that they just go, it's just going to be easier to buy a new one at this point, three years down the line or whatever, however many charges, charge cycles it's been through. But a lot of people, I think, oh, if it was easy to change my battery, I'd just stick with this phone for another year or, or two years or something like that. So it'd be, I think it's more consumer friendly, but less business friendly to offer this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, agreed, agreed. But it's the right thing to do. And sometimes Apple like to pride themselves on doing the right thing. You would hope so. And just for sort of a point of reference, and I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, there's a company called Framework that make a laptop where all the parts are easily user changeable. And it's not that much thicker than a MacBook Pro, really. But I think it's worth having a look at the little video. So if you do break your screen or you do need to change the Wi-Fi card or you do need to change the battery, this laptop is designed to be very easy user serviceable. Uh, and I think it's just fascinating if you do put your mind to it, what, what can be done with this kind of technology. So link in the show notes for those that want to see it. Yeah, this looks kind of cool. I, I quite like this. And the, the design, the build looks really good. It does. It's, it's quite an interesting piece of technology. And, you know, you can, you can get it. You can put Linux on it. These days, you could probably still put an older version of macOS on it. Of course, if you own macOS to begin with and you wanted to do so. I'm not advocating anybody does anything illegal here. But, yeah, I just think it's an interesting device where they have gone to that sort of level of, okay, you have, you've smashed your keyboard? Fine. We'll sell you the parts and we'll be able to get it to you the next day or something like that. Yeah, I think that is an interesting way to go in consumer tech these days. Yeah, definitely. I think it's fantastic. And it shows what can be done. Absolutely. That, that it is, is possible. Good. Okay, moving on. And back to our perennial favourite of uh, Call of Duty, Microsoft and Activision. And I just thought this was an interesting thing. This, for once, isn't the EU and it isn't the CMA and it isn't the F- financial... Con- what is in America? Oh, God, my brain's gone blank. FTC. FTC in America, the FTC in America. This is actually players now launching lawsuits to stop Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. So it's only 10 at this point, but you think if it's actually getting to the point where consumers are putting their money in their pockets also try and stop the deal, there's quite a lot of cards weighed against Microsoft in this fight. I I thought this deal was done in it after our last podcast and that's it. Seems not. Okay. Interesting players are now, now picking up the meeting of it. It's, hmm. Do you think this will add any weight? No, I don't think the players will. I think it's, it's the large governmental bodies that are more of a, a threat to Microsoft and Activision than anything. But you can understand from a player's point of view that they may not want to be wedded to a particular console or platform. They may want to play it on their Nintendo. They may want to move to Xbox next time. They want to go to what's the best bang for buck and where their friends are a lot of the time. And if most of the friends are on PlayStation, they're going to stay on PlayStation. They won't stay just for the sake of one game, I don't think. So I just find this quite interesting. Yeah, no, it's super interesting that players have an amusing. Maybe if Blizzard Activision turned around and said, if Microsoft don't buy us, we're not going to do this anymore because we are struggling as an organization. I don't know. I can't think that would be the case. I mean, surely in that instance that, you know, you could spin off the COD franchise into another developer or something like that. One of these sub-developers, Infinity Ward, or, or one of the other ones that sort of make the annual updates to Call of Duty, I'm sure they'd be willing to take it on. It's a huge brand. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Anyway. It is a huge brand. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I, I don't think we're done yet. No, I agree. Anyway, moving on, and this is just two quick stories, both from Marcus Brownlee, who we've talked about in this podcast before, where he does his sort of annual roundups of the various smartphones and what the best tech is and you know what he's seen change over the years and he does these annually and the two stories are one are on the iphone 14 pro's camera compared to all the other iphone all the other phone cameras that are available out there and he compares it to similar products from google and from samsung and from others and he did a blind testing where he put them out there on the internet and let other people judge them so it wasn't him that judged them knowing which device which came from what and the iphone 14 didn't do so well in this first test it came in seventh place with the pixel 6a taking first place pixel 7 pro second and the asus zenfone 9 which you've never even heard of taking third so quite far down the pack here really i thought yeah, that's not good. I quite like the camera on my iPhone 14 Pro. And part of the reason I upgraded was to get the 48 megapixel raw camera. I've seen the 6A beat the Pixel 7 Pro. The 6A sounds an older phone to me. 
It's an older and a cheaper phone. It's their sort of more budget phone, the, the A series. So whereas a, a, a six... A Pixel 6 would be sort of £700. A 6A would be about 299 399 something like that. But my understanding is Google hasn't actually changed the phone hardware in three or four generations. What they do is they change the software on the inside and how it processes it. It's more or less the same sensor, I think, in the last two or three generations of phone. That may have changed with the latest 7, but certainly, you know, the last few of them, it was the same software. So the image processing on that particular phone is better for whatever reason, as as judged by other viewers, presumably. But yeah, I was surprised to see the iPhone come so far down, Apple one like that. No, that is not good when, especially as we, I think we talked last time, Tim Cook was in Sony's laboratory and they were going, oh, look, here's the Sony sensor in an iPhone and it's fantastic kind of thing. So uh, no, not good at all. And so, seventh is a long way down for a thousand pound phone. It really is. So I think must try better, must try harder, really, Apple, on that point of view. And I think it's a perfectly good camera. Don't get me wrong. I mean, not that I've seen that many from 14 Pros. My 13 Pro takes good pictures. But it is legendary that the Google Pixel takes better pictures than the iPhone, I think, at this stage. But to be beaten by all these other manufacturers, Oppo, Asus, Samsung, Realme, Google, yeah, that's quite a long way down. I haven't heard of half of those manufacturers, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot of them are Chinese brands, I think, that still produce a variety of Google phones. Ah, and this is always the interesting thing to me about Android hardware, at a real variety of price points as well. So let's say a 6A is, I'm going to guess, 399 quid, certainly no more than that. That's really quite a step up on £1,000 for an iPhone, isn't it? If you really care about your photos more than anything else and just need it, why would you chuck another seven, 800 quid down to get an iPhone if all you really care about is the quality of the camera? I mean, you could you could drop one every three months, effectively, you know, and still have a better camera than your iPhone. That, I, again, this is something I think Apple really need to be careful about. It's not good, is it? It's really not good. It's not. But when we were talking last week, and we spent a long time last week talking about how important it was they have competition, what you hope is that they come out swinging a little bit better. Because the iPhone 14, which we're, we've both maybe got some confessions to make about it, you know, down the, down the line a little bit, is okay. It's not going to change the world. It's got a front-facing camera. The rear-facing camera are, are no better. And, you know, they've got a chance to to be out-innovated, it seems to me, by companies such as Samsung and, and Google who can try and improve this. If consumers care about cameras, they'll start buying it. And, you know, that's just the way it will go. Yeah, that is true. I think competition is a good thing. It is great to see other companies pushing Apple forwards. And hopefully Apple will push forwards following the back of this. You would hope so. So the second little video from Marquez that I quite liked was he does his voice vo- voice in a can test as well. I'm trying not to say, hey, dingus uh, of any way, shape, manner or form. And Siri didn't come last in this challenge amongst all the voice assistants. And this included things like Bixby, Google Voice, Alexa, Siri, obviously, and as many others as they had. And Siri didn't come last. Second last, but not last. What do you think about this? Not a big surprise. I mean, Siri's just a running joke in our house. I only spoke to it this morning to say, take me to an address not far from where I live, where my parents live. And it got it completely confused and just didn't understand. I remember recently I said, take me somewhere. And it came up with an address in America and said, you can't drive there. And I said, no, no, I can't drive to America. I don't want to drive to America. I want to go somewhere in the UK. So it does seem that it, it is unaware of sometimes which country you're in. Um, Syria is mixed and I am still surprised when I ask Syria to do something and it does it exactly how I want it. It's it's not great, is it, considering it's 11 years old? Yeah, it's a thing that's never really improved. They keep saying it's improved, but I don't ever feel that it's improved. And when you see how good Google's Assistant is, 
it's it's just deeply mystifying to me how bad Siri is. I mean, fair enough, they've beaten Alexa in one specific instance in this test, but that's not really saying very much, is it? Given how, you know, I'm, I know we've been talking repeatedly in this pad- podcast the last few weeks about how badly Amazon's been doing in this space. But, you know, the Amazon one isn't designed for phones anyway. That's that's the most amusing thing about this, isn't it? You know, they've, somebody's managed to put it on there. Siri, more or less from the outset, was designed to be on phones, and it's still doing this badly in these kinds of tests. It's just not a good look. It's not a good look, and it's embarrassing that, I don't know, that Apple can't seem to really get behind. They can't seem to move Siri forward in a meaningful way, and I don't understand how they've not done that much with it for so many years and the amount of money they should and could be pouring into it yeah and they've been caught before harvesting voice data by accident from people's devices too so it's not as if they can even claim that they're not getting the data that google has because they've got more active devices i'd say out there with people who are likely to have triggered siri than google do in some senses so they're not short of data they're not you know and if they asked people to opt into it i'm sure most people would actually say yes as long as they understood what was going on with the anonymization of that data it's you, i think you hit the nail on the head there when you say they don't seem to have the interest in improving it i think people would say yes as long as you promise me it's actually going to get any better agreed i just yeah for the amount of data that you know they've got what a billion users how has it not really moved on and i don't think i really use siri for any more than i do today than i did a year ago two years ago five years ago in cert any number there yeah it's embarrassingly bad so there you go there's two strikeouts for apple there even though they didn't come last second last isn't an awful lot better is it and the cameras are beginning to suck it looks like in comparison to others so and hopefully and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a while in 2023 apple will hopefully come back a little bit harder and respond to some of this competition but the trend is not good agreed agreed and i think this leads us nice into the next story which is a non-cloud-based voice assistant yeah, exactly. So if you didn't want to run Amazon's box or Apple's box or Samsung's box in your home, this is an initiative to have a home assistant that runs on your own hardware in your own house that doesn't go out to the cloud. And if you think of most of the things that you need a voice assistant to do, set a timer, start a radio station, play some music or something like that, then I think this is an interesting initiative. And you know, it'd be, it's good to push forward this sort of more open approach to this. So this home assistant will run on a Google Nest Hub via hack. So you may already have the hardware in your house and you're able to de-Googleify your device and make use of that hardware that you might be worried of snooping on you. And I think this kind of stuff I love to see in the tech community where they do push forward with existing hardware that, that may be about to go a landfill, exactly what we were talking about earlier with, with Apple and replacement batteries. If you can get this up and running and you do trust the source a little bit more, I think this is a very laudable goal. Yeah, and you know what? It reminds me of when Siri first came out. If you turn Siri off on the iPhone... I'm going to say you could then just carry on using the local voice recognition which was play song directions whatever it may be and that's what I used to use in my car I remember turning off Siri because I, I didn't have a permanent cellular connection to anything and it was so much better and it was faster so it just reminds me of those days and yeah I guess if it can will it still learn from your accent and stuff though I guess that's that's the thing well it's missing the cloud piece but you know it's coming out of the box that already supports 16 different languages I mean, how long did it take Siri to do more than just English? You know, I think that kind of stuff is already quite impressive. And the open source community are good at pushing forward these kinds of things and not dropping them where they reach. It might not be as good as a Google can do. It's certainly going to be very quickly better than an Apple can do based on our conversation a minute ago. You know, they're starting from a good place, I think. Yeah, I agree. I would be interested to play with this and actually see what it's like in reality. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting they've said their focus is to limit the number of possible actions and focus on the basics of interacting with your smart home. That's what you want. You want a bit of focus. You don't want, oh, it's really good at doing X, Y, and Z. No, no, it does these things really well. 100% of the time, it's going to get what you say to it right. That's what you want. That's what builds the faith in the product rather than saying, oh, you can ask it to take you to a location or play a song or do this. And then it sits there going, hmm, or tries to route you through America. So, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'm rooting for this one, i got to say. Yeah, no, I'm with you, I think. And 90% of what I ask you to do is the same thing I ask it to do every day of the week. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you here. I think if you could do, I don't know, the top 100 things really, really well and ignore the other 1,000 things that Siri probably does that nobody knows about, you'd be on to a winner. Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway, moving on. And this is a really shocking story to me that TikTok has confirmed it tracked journalist locations as part of an investigation. I'm so shocked that this slightly dodgy social network, which is the Chinese government as one of its owners, is actually tracking people. So video sharing platform TikTok and its parent company ByteDance are leakier than a sieve. This is an article from The Register. It was doing things like checking it, journalists' proximity to TikTok staffers through this account just to see where the leaks were coming from. Again, just an appalling abuse of, of you know the, the trust people have in applications when they install them on devices. Wow. That... That doesn't sit right with me. We have to get this this query at work, actually. Do you track where I am with my devices? Can, can people see where I'm working from and what I'm doing? So, no, we can't see you. We don't want to know where you are. That's up to you and your your manager to agree, not not for the IT department. This is awful, isn't it? This is You've got internal auditors trying to work out where leaks are. And you can see how they ended up here. Well, of course we can work out where the leaks are. We just, you know, geolocate everybody. You can just see, imagine the conversation happening. There's nothing wrong with doing that, is there? And we go, no, it sounds fine to me. And then it's, oh, it's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, just another abuse of technology, really. And, you know, I quite like the registers uh, subheading on this, as if you needed another reason to delete the app right now. You know, they're not wrong. I haven't installed the app yet, so I think I'm good. Yeah, it's on both my kids' phones. They love it. They're, they're, it's one of their sort of news sources. It and Snapchat live next to each other on, on their phones, and they look at it all the time. So, you know, they're being continuously tracked, presumably. Yeah, it's it's not a good look. And you can understand why governments, including the UK government and the US government, are talking about not allowing TikTok on governmental phones or on employees or, or things like that. Because if they can do this kind of stuff and have been proven to do this kind of stuff, unpleasant it is not good at all is it it's just i don't know there's nothing that makes you want to install tiktok if i'm brutally honest no no good well i'm glad we agree on that one it's just another abuse of social media and other than my current love affair with mastodon i'm, I'm seeing less and less of, of appeal to me in social media agreed i'm completely with you here I'm, I'm a, <laughs> i wasn't even in social media that much and this is not making me want to use it anymore no Okay, last story for today, and this I thought was just an interesting one actually, is that a developer has successfully emulated the first version of iPhone, iPhone OS, so iPhone OS 1, was still called iPhone OS at that point, it wasn't called iOS, using QMU, which is a virtualization environment on a computer. That's fantastic, you know. They, they have had to do an iPod Touch rather than the iPhone because some of the hardware that had to be emulated in the phone proved rather difficult. But this is just really impressive. I mean, it's also really impressive if it's taken this long to do it in one level, to get to a point where the emulator is able to do it. QMU is quite an impressive emulator. It's a virtualization, hypervisor, I should say, because it is really good at being able to do ARM stuff, to Intel stuff, to sort of really old and out, out, out of the way things as well. So A, very impressive for QMU, but well done to the developer for getting this up and running. You know, I'm sure it'll have uses and utility down the line. Sorry, I just had to go off and look at another image because... 
I completely agree with you, by the way. This is a fantastic achievement. But the article you've linked to, it shows the dock in the middle screen grab. And in the dock, it's got reflections. And I was like, mm, I'm fairly certain that wasn't in iPhone OS 1. And actually in iPhone OS 1, it was more like a grill on the background, if that makes sense. And so I do think this is amazing, by the way, but it was just that one detail was playing with my mind. And wasn't iPhone OS 1 a beautiful thing? Yeah. The icons look really cool, a bit of 3D. I love all the skeuomorphicness of it. I don't know, I just think it was fantastic. It was definitely of its time, and I think iOS now looks quite flat and boring, doesn't it? And you look at things like the YouTube app here, which was made by Apple, not Google at that point, which looks like an old television and stuff like that that was built into it. I had an iPod Touch before the iPhone came to the UK, because there was a lag of about six months, I think, before the... The iPhone actually came, which we've talked about before. And I just remember being fascinated by the the iPod Touch. I remember buying it from an Apple store and sitting, entering all my contacts manually into it and just having a great time with a stupid little... I was looking at websites on, on the iPod Touch rather than on my laptop at that point. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the, the skeuomorphism, which is sort of the representation of a more lifelike object in an icon. We've gone too far the other way. It's far too flat and sort of boring these days. I think we could do having a bit of life re-injected into our icons. Yeah, what gets me now, though, is the, probably the compute power used to generate all these icons and textures was probably a lot harder than just showing a, a you know a plain background. And yet we had all, the, all, the, all these textures and, and what have you and backgrounds and animations back when it was compute was expensive and we didn't have it. And then here we are now with plain, boring backgrounds and, and we've got really over overpowered devices in essence. And yet we're not really do, doing a huge amount with it. I still love iPhone OS and I do miss and it was something in the original keynote that you could just scroll through your albums like what a fantastic interface that was and yet seemed to have disappeared and never really come back you could just flip through the album sleeves which was fantastic and i quite like that way i listen i'm an albums person but that disappeared i don't even know in which os but no iphone os it was just so amazing when it came out yeah what a thing so far ahead of its time and just worked and obviously we're using most of the same paradigms now that were invented back then and it was a small team that did it it's, it was just such a feat of engineering that ended up being delivered and well massively transforming the mobile phone industry forever yeah you're not wrong i remember that album view which i think streaming music killed that as much as anything because nobody really listens to albums anymore but that being able to uh, it would centralize one album artwork and you'd flick from left to right as i recall and it would show you all your albums and Mac OS actually briefly did it for a while as well, where you could change the view so you could sort of flick through thumbnails and things. But I was just looking on my Mac, see that's gone as well. Yeah, but more whimsical, I think. You know, we've talked to this before. Apple's lost their fun, their whimsy to a certain extent, which was very much evident in, in iOS and iPhone OS 1. So I think they could do or bring in a little bit of that back as well as some solid, uh, software quality checks, frankly. Agreed, agreed. But yeah, look look back at this longingly, I think it was it was wonderful. Yeah, so have a look at the linked article if you never saw iPhone OS version 1. It's a nice trip down memory lane for some of us. I think that'll do us for news. The media section looks a bit short this week, Chris. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on to media. I think these are largely with you. I can't think of any media I've watched that's worth discussing. This, this is the problem, and for you know everybody around the world, UK television at Christmas becomes a thing where you just sort of sit and absorb it and don't pay an awful lot of attention to what's on a lot of the time. It also means you don't get a lot of time, certainly in our household, where we sort of sit back and enjoy a streaming thing together. So this week, however, the last season of The Crown came out, which we've been following on Netflix since it was originally launched. 
and finally got a chance to sit down and watch it and now watch three episodes of it. It's a high quality show. I'm Scottish. I'm not the most pro-royalty person in the world, but it's actually given me sort of fair amount of fondness for the royal family. I wouldn't go as far as like, but fondness for the royal family. It's really well done. The, the actors and actresses and scripts and sets that have been in it since the outset have just been wonderful. They've kept this going. The casting of Imelda Staunton and others within this is just phenomenal. The, the voices are good. The accents are good. It just looks terrific. So thoroughly enjoying that. It's interesting for those that have been were fans of Train Spotting, which being a Scottish film, I was a huge fan of back in the day, where the character Sick Boy was played by Johnny Lee Miller. Um, Johnny Lee Miller is cast in this as John Major, which is just like the most amazing bit of casting, actually, that you've got this sort of fairly out there drug addict as he's as he's played in Train Spotting and he was in Hackers and other films, briefly married to Angelina Jolie, I think, Johnny Lee Miller. And he's playing the very dull, boring, grey John Major extremely well. So just just that little bit of casting really appealed to me. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying watching The Crown. So I've seen about the first three seasons of The Crown. I genuinely really enjoyed it. And I probably need to catch up again. I don't know when I'm going to fix that in. But it is interesting what you say about Johnny Lee Miller. And I do think the, the casting of The Crown has been fantastic. You know, the various people they had and what Olivia Coleman doing it. and Claire Foy. Claire Foy, thank you ever so much. Just fantastic casting, I think. I really enjoyed it. I, they've really got to town on it. And obviously everything's very topical now in the UK. What with us now having a king and... The various things going on between Prince, is he still Prince Harry? I don't even know anymore. And Prince William, and and, that, and it, it seems forever in the news. It must be interesting for the Netflix because they they really going for the whole royalty bit with Harry's TV shows and The Crown. So they're kind of playing both sides of it, aren't they? Trying to do the documentary side with Harry and Meghan, and then then do this slightly fictitious slash based upon real stories crown, crown adaptations interesting they, they're all in on it i should probably catch back up with the crown i think but i'm glad to hear it's still going and it, it sounds like it's still as high quality as what it was in season one i think it's just as high quality as it was the one bit of casting that i'm not 100 percent sure about and unfortunately i can't remember the actress's name of it i've been a bit more with it while you were talking there i'd have gone and googled her but the actress that's in Tenet that plays the, the girlfriend of the oil baron is it bezeki i think her name is something like that elizabeth she was in the the night manager as well yeah she's she's fantastic she's excellent and that she's cast as diana in this and i don't it's almost like she's playing a parody of diana rather than a more sort of true to true to sense diana the actress they cast in the last season i think sort of nailed it a little bit more the voice is very good but there's just something about it's a little bit over the top for me i don't think it's the actress's fault i think she's tried to inhabit diana as much as she could yeah interesting interesting elizabeth did Debicki. Debicki. Possibly pronounced it incorrectly, yeah. but that's her name. And she's also very tall, isn't she? So she'd be too tall for Diana, but I guess they can make that work. Well, maybe they need to cast cast somebody who was salt because she'd be stood next to Charles and others in, in the shots. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I think she's an excellent actress and she does a great job in Tenet and The Night Manager, but just comes off a little different to the others in this in, in the crowd. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It's a good family thing to watch. It's something we can all sit around and enjoy. And like you say, mostly based in reality. Yeah, and you never know half of what's happened behind closed doors, will you? Like, like for sure, in people's accounts of it. So, I think it is quite a good, a good show. Good. Okay, you have nothing to add to media this week. Oh, not really. We've just been watching whatever's been on TV, so nothing very exciting. I, I don't think we've seen anything that's really stood up. We haven't watched a huge, huge amount of TV, but I don't think we've watched any one thing that I've, yes must talk about that if that makes sense. I mean, haven't seen any films. Fair enough. I can report that I'm still very, very slowly watching Bad Sisters. I've watched episode three of that now. It's a good show. It's very clever, well acted as well, but more on that as I continue to watch it. I think it's the slowest binge of anything I've ever done. 
Sounds more like something I would do. Yes, definitely not a binge. Are you continuing with Slow Horses or have you done it? On to go. I'm, I'm assuming it'll be released this Friday, which is probably why they released the two episodes that we discussed previously, because everything's starting to come together and it feels like there's one more to go. So I'm guessing it's a six episode TV show, which show, demonstrates why they only released two at the start. And one story that I have neglected to put in our show notes, but we should probably very briefly discuss, is that the Apple pulled out of the National Football League deal. They were going to apparently in talks the NFL to buy Friday Night Football in the States in the same way they were doing Major League Soccer, they plan to, and the baseball games, but they have pulled out of that deal apparently that they will no longer be shown on Apple TV Pluses, which is interesting. Yeah, given they've got all the money, but maybe it just reached a point where they weren't comfortable with it. Well, I think there comes a time where, you know, you know, for both parties' sake, you've got to walk away. I presume the NFL weren't offering a thing that Apple were interested in. The reports I'd heard was that Apple wanted a different product. So, you know, there's very complicated rules in America about can you show your local game in the, if you live in the local area. If you don't live in the area, you can see the game from that area. But if you live in the area, then the local affiliate has to show it or something. And Apple probably wanted to change that so they could just show, you know, pick your game and watch whatever would be suitable to you. I don't think it was in the NFL's interest to change that. So I think that was one of the reasons it fell down. But yeah, interesting that they sort of walked away from it. Yeah, interesting. But again, you never know what's going on behind closed doors, do you? You don't. You don't. Anyway, I think that's us for media. Moving on. Games. First one for me, just a very simple thing I spotted the other night. The Guardian have a... I mean, it's been badged as a Wordle competitor. I don't think it's a Wordle competitor. I think it's more just like a, a Scrabble-type thing for you to try it yourself. So it's free to play. The link's in the show notes. It's called Wordapply. The idea is they start you off with a couple of letters and you just try and make the longest word you can out of those letters. It's it's quite fun. It's there for, you know, I think you get five or six shots at it and then it shuts again for till midnight the next day and then you can have another go at a different word and you can share that in a very similar way to, way to Wordle. I don't think it's... I certainly haven't seen it kicking off in the same way world did but it's quite an interesting little diversion yeah it definitely feels like they're trying to cash in on this i don't like the name sorry word apply just don't know word always fantastic the guy who invented that he hit all the right things at all the right time nothing to be fair to him i was in a bookshop today and we did actually see you can now buy a word or board game with wipeable markers i guess is the word i'm looking for and my sons were looking at that because they quite like a word game but i was you know it just seems like they've really cashed in on wordle there's been books and kids books and now there's a board game they've really monetized it very well yep fair enough as you were talking there i've had two quick goes at today's word and word apply and i've managed to get 12 is the best i can do with that so far so clearly i need to try harder so that's word apply if you want to have a look it's there i can't spell so it's probably no good for me it does remind me of the days of the game we used to play with the red and blue i can't remember what that was called on the ios devices about 15 well probably less than 15 years ago but more than 10 the game with the red and blue I think it was red and blue, and we, you and I would play against each other, and I can't think what it was called. Yeah, you've lost me now. I don't remember that at all. No, I can't think what it's called either. Anyway, should we That's move on? Fascinating radio. I got a new toy for Christmas. I got a, uh, a hot ass, <laughs> which isn't the best thing, in the, it's the best sounding thing in the world, but it's a, if you can imagine, it's a flight stick, a joystick for air, air simula- aircraft simulators, as well as a throttle and other buttons. And the idea being you can control the virtual aircraft a bit more easily than you can just using a keyboard or a mouse or more often than not these days a PlayStation controller or something like that. So it was quite a nice thing. Links in the show note for the one I've got. It's got an even better sounding name. It's a Thrustmaster T-Flight Hot Ass. So 
it's 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 an interesting device, and it, what it's made me do is pull out a couple of games that I hadn't spent a lot of time with, mostly because they were really difficult to play on a gamepad. So I had had an old PlayStation PlayStation Four DualShock controller that I'd be controlling these things with, and it just wasn't cussing it really. You keep having to go back to the keyboard. You know, you want to change the the trim or the flaps or the throttle or something like that, and you're back on the keyboard to do it. it doesn't work so well with a gamepad. So. This had obviously been observed and this was presented to me on Christmas Day, which was very nice, but it has meant that I pulled out Microsoft Flight Simulator, Elite Dangerous, and DCSA 10. So I'll just quickly fly through them. Have you seen the new version of Microsoft Flight Simulator? I just like how you said I'll quickly fly through them. Very well done. Just thought I'd recognize it. Yes, I've seen Flight Simulator. It looks stunning. What more can I say? It just looks fantastic. It is an amazing looking game. The quality of the scenery in it is incredible. There's some really nice features in it. It will pick up local weather and lighting patterns for where you are. So if I were to try and fly from Heathrow now, for example, it would be very wet, very dark, and all the rest of it actually picks up the realistic weather conditions of the airfield. So you can do night flights across London. You can change the time if you want to, but if you just leave it as default and say, I want to fly from A to B, it will give you those weather conditions there. And it does very accurately model runways and airports and everything in those cities. So I did a little helicopter flight from Swansea to Cardiff. Helicopters were added in the last update as well. A thing I wasn't able to fly using using the gamepad before. It doesn't do the greatest job on Swansea and we haven't got the most major ur urban conurbations. It gets the vague height of the tall building quite right, and it, but it gets the shape of the coastline excellent. So I managed to take off from Swansea Airport, fly down to Caswell Bay, hover in Caswell Bay and then go across to Langland, follow the coastal footpath between them and then sort of round the coast into Swansea, which was pretty cool actually, I gotta say, it does a really good job of that kind of, and the bigger urban conurbations, so I flew across London and sort of hovered next to the Shard for a bit, it does a really really good job of, London looks terrific on it, so yeah, quite an expensive game, I think it was £60 when I bought it, it is free on Xbox Game Pass, but sort of really transformed through actually having proper hardware to make use of it. Yeah, and it's amazing the engineering they've done. They could have just modeled the UK or something, and they haven't. They've then put, like you say, brought in the weather patterns and everything. It, the sheer size of that game is just incredible, I think. The amount of effort gone into it. Yeah, and I think it shares with, down the list a little bit, DCSA 10. So DCS is a flight simulator. It's a real world war simulator, effectively, into which all manner of aircraft are available. So you can have a server that is persistent over days, weeks, or months. There is one at the moment that's set somewhere in Eastern Europe where the war actually changes based on what the players are doing. So they can have hundreds of planes flying across at any time, some flying bombers or fighters or ground attack or helicopters, whatever. And the DCS World app supports all of these various things. So if you want to fly a Tomcat or a Spitfire or you know a Hind helicopter or something like that, they're all supported within the game. And what my point when I get back to it is, the, the cockpits are fully realized in the same way they are in Flight Simulator. So if there's a knob or a button or a switch in the cockpit, you can actually click it with your mouse, which is, if you actually know how to fly one of these things, is just incredible. So I've put in the show notes a little link to DCS A-10, somebody doing a one-minute takeoff thing for how to take off in an A-10, which is a type of aircraft. But just what he has to do, just and he knows what he's doing to get it up and running in terms of retard this, fire that up, do the APUs, let the navigation spin up, etc., etc., etc. You can model that in these games these days. It is just an insane level of detail. It, yeah, it's bonkers. And I guess they've got to charge some money for it, but it's also quite a niche market game to buy a flight simulator, I think. And the amount of you know effort and hours that have gone into developing it, just, just insane, in my view. Yeah. Anyway, and then the last little thing I put, pulled out again, though not for long, is Elite Dangerous. I don't know if you played Elite back in the day. I'm aware of it. I did play Elite 
one and two, but I was never overly into them. It was reimagined about six years ago with David Braben, the guy who originally did it, and it is an amazing looking and sounding thing. Not a lot in it, really. It's just a bit of a grind, but always perform better, apparently, if you had one of these Hotas setups. And yeah, it does. I stalled it, I flew about, I docked again, I thought, no, it's still just as boring as it was, looks terrific, very empty. I switched it off again. So I'm going to stick to these other two for a little bit and sort of fly around in the real world on these. I've got a real hankering to fly a Tomcat after watching Top Gun Maverick, which is why I reinstalled the, the DCS thing. So I'll need to see how much the, the Tomcat add-on is for DCS, but yeah, interesting. No, it's, that does sound quite cool, and I do want to have a go on flight sim, but I just yeah, haven't got really around to it. But it, it looks so good, genuinely looks fantastic. It really does. It's, it's, it's a most impressive thing. So yeah, that's me. You also have a story in, in games, I think. Oh, just one. I think I mentioned I bought Lego Star Wars skywalker saga the other week and i finally gave it to my son on christmas day and he's been playing it largely non-stop ever since he hasn't watched a lot of the films but he's very much enjoying the game because it's awesome so it's quite nice to see him play something a bit different it isn't fifa or car racing game so no it's just just it seems really good it looks stunning the quality of it yeah really good and i believe it might be free on game pass because my brother sent me a screenshot of his son playing it on his xbox series s that he had for christmas so fantastic little game very much aimed at kids and actually i'm quite looking forward to having a go on it myself when i get 10 minutes and i sit down and play through it yeah it's definitely free on game pass i downloaded it for one of mine last night even though she's 19 she still likes playing a little bit of lego i think there's no harm at all in that it's a it's a good it doesn't. It's, it's a good little game to play so i might i might try and have a quick look at it myself but it's there so yeah i'd endorse that i think the lego games have been consistently fun over the years they can get a bit samey after a while. If you if you went from Harry Potter to Star Wars to Marvel or something like that, you might feel you'd played the same game over and over, but this looks like a decent update. Yeah, no, agreed. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a go on it, actually. I was, I was been watching a little bit of it, and, and I was talking to him about some of the characters and which episode they're playing. He's like, how do you know which episode this is? And it's like, because I've seen, seen all the films. But I think it looks good, and I'm 40, and I'm going to have a go on it. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Good for you. Quite right. Good. Let's do it. So I thought we could start by just going through Stuff Magazine published a sort of year in review for Apple. And I think it's probably worth us taking a quick spin through this and seeing if we agree with some of the choices they made and maybe a few thoughts about what we'd like to see in 2023 really based on this. So it's interesting the way they've done this. They've got sort of the good, the bad and the ugly is effectively what they've done. So the good, they say, lots of great hardware, which I think without even having seen this article is a thing we agreed on last week. Apple A plus for hardware this year. Yeah, hardware stunning. For me, the only thing that let them down, I think, was really the iPad Pro because it was a very dull update. But it was a dull update of an already fantastic device. But no, I think on the whole, if you look back at what they brought out, the M2 MacBook Air stands out to me because I really want one, but I don't really use macOS, but I think the hardware looks fantastic. I've got the iPhone 14, fantastic. I just think generally they're, they're, they're doing really well. I think the hardware's solid. Yeah, I'd agree with that. My MacBook Pro here I'm delighted with. That was a product of this year, or was it late last year? I forget. It's it's a phenomenal thing, my M1 MacBook Pro here. The M2 MacBook Pro, I've talked about in this podcast before. Other people who work in my department, how impressed they are with it. They can do an awful lot more work with it based on the RAM and the chip that's in it. So impressive. The phones look good. Certainly the Pro phones look good. Maybe the camera's not quite so much, but generally uh, across the board hardware a plus as far as i'm concerned and they pull out just to talk about what stuff talks about but they pull out airpods pro iphone 14 pro max iphone 14 macbook air m2 ipad air apple watch se so you know and of course we got apple watch ultra in there as well as new hardware this year so the you know a lot of good hardware this year they pull out the dynamic island how good the a16 chip is the fact they finally moved the facetime camera to landscape not before time frankly i, I- only on the one iPad, though, just to note that. Only on one iPad, yeah. That that probably needs sorting out and other things. 
They say the new iPhone th- lock screen. Oh, sorry, I was going to say the Dynamic Island, I think, is, yeah, just a demonstration of Apple can still do great software innovation and a bit of whimsy the way it animates and everything. I think that's them at their peak this year on software. It's just something they've, and I know you haven't really used it, but just something they've done, which as a iPhone 14 Pro user is fantastic, works really well. And it's just them at their best. I think there's a bit of joy in there, but it's really functional. And I think as large as you received critical acclaim, nobody's really panned it and gone, this is awful. So that was just one I thought worth calling out on the software front, just stunning. Yep. I agree. I, the new iPhone lock screen also on software has been a good evolution. The views I've got set up, I'm very happy with. Pass keys they talk about. I still haven't been asked to re- put a pass key in anything. Have you? Not, not used it. I think I'm more looking forward to using the hardware key that we spoke about before the YubiKey. I've not used pass keys at all. I think I think that's something, like when Apple first started doing Wallet, they introduced it, nobody really used it. And then slowly over time, you started using your Apple Wallet a lot more. I think pass keys will go the same way and I, I saw one password adding functionality to one password to support it which is music to my ears because I, I do use one password so i think it will come over time so i'm looking forward to it i think they're, they're playing the long game yep i'm with you i would like to see a couple of these pass keys and mine will go on one password as well just so you've got that portability of it more icloud encryption is good the emergency sos features which we've talked about are good although apparently there are an increase in first responders being called to roller coasters and people falling off their skis which potentially could lead to people not to getting rescued so that's something that we actually need to keep an eye on more than more than anything else i think other than that for that software i'd give them you know b plus you know for, for all those things all these new things that are coming along b plus we won't talk about the operating systems in this section because we're trying to do the good stuff at the moment but i think that's that's a fair roundup of things we liked about apple this year also special mention to more iCloud encryption, which we haven't seen here in the UK yet, but we agreed last week this is a good feature. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Yep. Other things they said were good, and the first one will have no argument from either of us. Severance on Apple TV was terrific. Continuity camera is a very good thing. I'm using it to talk to you right now. The lift subject from background, I'm not sure, 100% sure I agree with that. I, that was a novelty I used a few times when it first came out. I haven't used it since. It's useful every now and again. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But it's, it's again, Apple at their best. It's a bit of software. It's there. It's good. I think they've got to work out how they make people aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've got that, how do you do the live photos thing? Because I can't get that to work now. Oh, I don't know. Because instead of replaying the little bit of video or, of the photos taken, it always tries to lift off the background. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think that's where they've got too many functions under one thing and sometimes you end up swiping and, and doing the wrong action yeah so maybe this should go in the bad because that's a discoverability thing that's not good really and then last backtrack and apple watch i have no reason to use that and i can see it's a good feature for those that would need it but yeah it's not a thing that's been immediately obvious to me i completely agree i think it's something i haven't used but i'm not a big tracker but again it's a good feature and they've done a lot on the safety side haven't they emergency sos car crash detection you missed icloud.com redesign by the way which is fantastic is it i haven't noticed if you've got to use it i had to use it while i was doing my wife's email migration i logged into it i was like actually i forgot they've redone icloud.com and it's it's just a nice lick of paint i think they've done a good job okay fair enough i won't argue with that so the bad the messy ipad lineup i 100 percent agree i don't understand the ipad lineup yeah i i I think we need another year to play out and it will 18 months and it will make sense i think they've They've got all the right hallmarks, but everything's not quite in sync. Now, whether that's supply chain or whatever, or just lack of issues on their end or staff working on the right projects, whatever it may be, I think 
18 months from now, it will make more sense. I think they also need to kill old products or remove them from the lineup because it just makes it worse. I completely agree on that. Trying to tell me what iPad to go and buy right now is complicated. Yeah. No new Mac Pro. That is bad, but I don't care. It is bad, but why isn't it here? They hinted about it in the summer, so I think we must have been close to it, but they haven't quite got there yet. I just want to see what they, they're going to do with it. I I'm think, never going to buy it. No, I'm never going to buy it either. And considering we've both owned Mac Pros in the past, that's a bit of a poor lookout, really, that they couldn't find a compelling product. Well, A, they haven't made it, and B, it's unlikely they'll make it compelling or cheap enough to, you know, to consider as a, a piece of hardware that we have to have. Yeah, no, agreed. We are going to be Mac Studio people if we buy a desktop, I'm sure. Yeah, so no new Mac Pro. The iPhone 14 get, not getting it. The iPhone 14 getting an A15 chip. So this was spin. We talked about it at the time. I'm not sure I agree with this. It will make sense next year, I think, when they sort of start to try and differentiate the lineup. I'm not as upset about it as they are, but it just feels a bit penny-pinching. Yeah, agreed. But they need to start driving a wedge in between the two lineups, don't they? And this is their, their way of doing it. Yep, I completely agree with them on hobbling the iPads USB-C, so it's only USB-C port on the new iPads, not the Pro, but the the new ones that they introduced have only got USB 2 speeds. That's rubbish. Yeah, I agree it's rubbish, but who actually transfers data over USB these days? Yeah, but there have been stories in the past of, I know when they were making Lord of the Rings, for example, they were bringing back the the various film that they'd take on iPods at that point. You know, transferring the film because it was easier to do that than hard disks and all the rest of it. They could just stick it on big iPods and bring it back. I suspect similar things happen these days. If you are shooting a film or you've got a lot of audio or you've got something on your iPad, one way or another to get it on there or off there, there's no reason for them to do this, frankly. It can't be saving them very much money at all. So I just think it's it's swinging and rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, it shouldn't be an issue, should it? It should just work. Sure, it's more work for them to have a different exactly. um, controller than anything. Yeah, it's it's just, it's rubbish. It's it's not public spirited. It's mean. It's very Scrooge-like, putting in a Christmas metaphor. This one I like, but you won't. Apple Studio Display fits in their bad section because I quite like their argument here. If Almost two years ago, we said in 2021, if Apple serves an iMac without the Mac bit, we'd be very happy indeed. And actually, that's all they did. And no more than that, isn't it? So, and then charge 1500 quid for it too. They did stick a camera on the top. I agree 100% with their argument here. The panel was edging the webcam Wi Fi and the price tag's too high. Agreed. But you know what? It's a fantastic display. I use it every day when I'm in my shed. I wouldn't be without it. So, I'm actually happy Apple have come back because why else would I buy something that didn't connect properly each time? It works fantastic with my iPad. I'm debating getting another one. They are on the refurb store at the moment. I'd like one in the house. They are too expensive for what they are. But nobody else makes an Apple display like Apple. So I'll take it, frankly. I, the, the one complaint I wish it, it solved is I'd love it to have inputs. Why can't I plug two things into it and s- switch between them? That's probably the one thing I think it should do for that price tag. But I don't use the webcam on it, so I'll ignore that. The aging panel may be true, but it's still a fantastic panel. And it is t- it is too expensive, and I get I'm privileged to own it, but I'd, I'd buy it again. I have no regrets about buying it. Fair enough. There are rumours of them bringing additional displays to market, not just the studio display, so maybe there'll be more choice for soon anyway, so we shall see. It does oh. always make me laugh, though, when you go to the shop and you see a studio display next to an iMac, and it looks like the iMac's fatter brother, but yet it's got no computer inside. Well, it's got barely any computer inside. It's got an iPhone inside. Laugh. An, an iPhone inside of it still hasn't been updated, right? Correct. There's no monitor OS 16 or whatever they call it. Dear, oh dear. Other quick things will fly through in the bad. The death of the iPad Touch, we talked about that at the time. Very sad, but not really all that bothered, frankly. I don't think that's bad. I think it's good. Yeah. Just clarify, because they killed a, lot, a product. Either keep it going and update it or kill it. So yeah. I think they did the right thing. 
iCloud errors, yes, we, we, we had far too many iCloud errors this year. One iCloud error is too many of your emails stop syncing or you know, you're unable to back up to iCloud or something like that. All cloud companies suffer from it, Google less than most, but we saw a number, a number of these this year, so they need to work on that to make that better. The App Store ads we talked about in depth on this podcast, it's dreadful, it needs to stop. Showing gambling ads to people who are trying to quit gambling is unacceptable, and they have stopped it, but I'm sure it's in the back of somebody's mind at Apple that they can make a few bucks on this, and it's a bad thing. Just jump in here if there's any of these you feel you want to comment on. The slow death of Dark Sky. Dark Sky is a weather app that Apple bought. They bought it more for the sensors it used, for the way it collected weather so they could put it in their own weather app more than anything else. The API will live on for things like Carrot, but Dark Sky itself what has gone away. I'm a little sad about this. I, I use my Dark Sky weather reports every morning, even though I am a Carrot weather subscriber, so that's a bit of a shame. I like the new weather app, and I didn't really buy any other weather apps, so I'm quite, I'm quite happy where we've ended up. We've got a much better weather app out of it, so I'm a lot happier, if I'm honest. So it hasn't really impacted my life. Fair enough. Does the weather app say, take an umbrella with you, it's going to rain in 10 minutes? No, but it does say raining for the next hour, and it's pretty accurate on, on that. Well, Dark Sky would do that. You know, you could set up notifications that you're about to get a squall in the area, sort of hyper-local to where you were, and it was going to last 10 minutes. And that kind of functionality doesn't live on in the weather app. Oh, I was going to say, I probably haven't even turned on notifications, to be fair. There you go. Anyway, Apple killing off apps, not notifying developers that things would get removed from the App Store and things like that. This is just part of the developer relation piece for me. It's not just killing off apps. It's it's being better about communicating with developers exactly what's going on with the store with things that they've put there. I think that's overall a point of contention for Apple. They're not good at that part of it. Yeah, agreed on that one. Agreed. Yep, last few. Now, Apple Watch 3 is sticking around. They're right. It needs to go immediately, yesterday. It should have gone a year ago at least because it doesn't run the latest watch OS. So it shouldn't have been around until <coughs> September when they released the latest. 100% agree. Yep, 100% agree. Apple services price hikes, everything went up. I mean, I, I, on one level, I can understand it can't stay the same price forever. Right in the middle of a cost of living crisis worldwide is not a good look. No, and we're not helped in the UK with the dollar as well, are we? No, not at all. The Mac Studio being noisy, don't have one, can't comment, but it, it, we're used to our Macs being very quiet, and if it is noisy, that's not good. Especially given the sheer size of the cooling on it, it seems bizarre to me that it is noisy. Yep. Apple's passive-aggressive self-service repair program, I agree. We talked about that in detail. It is unnecessarily unwieldy, frankly. Yeah, agreed. It's, yeah, it just seems excessive, but they've ticked the box that yeah. they're doing it. And as we already talked about, the crash detection being a bit weird with being tra- triggered by roller coasters and things, you think a fairly simple geofence around a roller coaster would stop that happening, wouldn't it? But all in all, I think quite a fair review. Yeah, no, I, I agree with most of what they're saying now, you know, the hardware's been fantastic. There's a few key software pieces on all. Pretty good year. You're never going to please everybody. Very true. So what's your big hope for 2023? What do you want Apple to release in 2023? Or oh, do? One. Because we didn't, for me, actually, I know we criticize Stage Manager and iPad OS 16, but that's been massive for me because it means I can go back to one iPad. So that's something I'd call out as a massive step forwards. It hasn't cost me a penny. What do I want them to do next year? I don't know what I want next year. I've got I've got most things I want now. I can use my iPad. I'd like to see more developer tools on the iPad. That's probably the, the thing I would like. And the ability to use my studio display camera for my iPad camera so I can look at the big screen rather than the little screen. They're, they're probably a couple of things I'd like. How about you? 
I want them to be less grudging. I want them to be a bit more proactive for all these things that we keep talking about. Working with the EU, putting USB-C on things, not advertising inappropriately to people, not treating developers and taking them for granted, not behaving as a platform owner that thinks every single thing that goes through their platform means they get paid one cent for even looking at it. I think they could be a lot more gracious and open about their platforms and the way they treat people. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a slightly more cooperative Apple in 2023 than the, you know, the one that you're having to be pushed forward with electrical sticks or something, you know, cattle prods or something to get them to do anything, which is, which is the company we see at the moment. I think they're getting there. I think they're slowly, from the rumours we've been talking about last week or the week before, I think they're slowly going to get where you want them. But what that will look like, who knows, whether they will, whether they will begrudgingly do it or whether they will fully embrace it, that remains to be seen. This is my worry, though. It's not going to be 2023. They'll do the things they have to do. So, you know, the USB-C iPhone, ding, 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 was in the pipeline, so we're going to see it. But I, I want a bit more than that. I want them to come the extra mile for it, not just sort of be forced into it all the time. And I, I worried we're only hearing these rumours now because the writing's on the wall a little bit for them. It shouldn't have got to this point. And if they were a bit more proactive, I think they'd have a lot more developer kudos, which I feel they're rapidly losing, frankly. We're not seeing interesting things come to Apple platforms in the way that we used to. You know, that the, the omnis of this world aren't aren't obvious all the time. You know, that, that other than the Affinity apps, which are available on Windows too, you know, you're not getting the joyful little apps that you used to get as much. They're still there, but they tend to be cross-platform electron type things more than you buy a Mac because you had that feature, you know, which used to be a thing. Yeah, like a premium Mac app or a really good Mac app or something that understood how the Mac works, wrote a good Mac app. You just, it's not a thing, is it? Anymore? No, it's not. And and Apple themselves don't do it. And if you even look at iPhone apps, things like Clips, which was launched and abandoned. And my worry is, I've even forgotten the name of it, the note-taking app we talked about last week. Freeform. Freeform is going to be the same sort of thing. It's sort of pushed half-hearted out into the world and never to be touched again. And a lot of the apps suffer from that. I feel the Photos app suffers from that. And iTunes, it's not even called iTunes anymore. Music doesn't work particularly well, as we've already talked about in this podcast. So I think even the platform owner isn't making the apps to the same degree of polish that they could, should. And that sort of lack of love and attention is becoming sort of fairly noticeable across the platforms, not just the Mac these days. We wouldn't see anything on Mac except Electron apps or half-ported half iPad and iPhone apps a lot of the time. So this, for my, my wants for Apple this year, WWDC or before, to go, right, We've had a change of heart. We want, we're going to allow this. The app store is going to be more permissive. We're going to allow sideloading. We're going to do all these things. And we're going to do it willingly. And not just the very bare minimum that we need to do in order to make sure the regulators leave us alone a bit more. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Like I say, it's going to be interesting to see how they embrace it. And will they go back to their principles and do it properly? Or will they do it begrudgingly and, and just care for what you wish for again? Because nobody wins kind of thing. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year. Good. So on that slightly downward trend, did you get anything nice for Christmas? I did. I hinted heavily that I would like some AirPods Pro 2, please. Thank you very much. And that will do me nicely. So I did get some AirPods Pro 2 and I've got them engraved with my initials on them and super happy with them. They seem a lot heavier. That's the thing I noticed in the case. I think it's the case. But the quality of the sound on them, fantastic. Definitely bassier than previous AirPods Pro. I'm, I'm really looking forward to using them a lot more. I haven't used them a huge amount, obviously. I've been with the family. 
but the music sounds fantastic. Just just great. And I like the magnetic charging and I'm looking forward to some new batteries, if I'm honest, because the batteries in my old ones, two years in, being used nearly every day, <laughs> were starting to degrade somewhat. So yeah, I'm quite excited about it. It's a practical present for me. How about you? I'll be curious to know if the, your batteries on those in the case is, is as rubbish as mine. The, the AirPods themselves are fine, but it seems to discharge rather rather quickly on the AirPods Pro 2 for me. I, I, I Other than that, I'm very happy with my AirPods Pro 2. I think they're, they're a great device. For me, my daughter got a set of third gen AirPods. She doesn't like headphones that go all the way into your ear. She wanted the ones that sit outside, so she's got them. She was delighted that they were engraved with her initials and that the initials showed up when she went to pair the AirPods on, which we talked about in this podcast. That is awesome bit of engineering there. Love it. it. It's cool. It's a, that's a, see, that's a nice whimsical integration of your software. That's that's the kind of thing that you'd be doing more of. So she's very happy with them. She'll find them very useful for lectures and things like that. that was My wife's app. got the same set of AirPods. They're fantastic. Yeah. Yep. So she, she seems really happy with them. I, and I'll give her a month or two back at university and I'll ask her, which do you use more? Do you use your big Sonys or do you use your AirPods? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the AirPods are fantastic just because they're so convenient just to pop one in. If you just listen to a podcast while you're washing up or whatever it may be. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. And then, much out of the blue for me, was I got an, an Apple Watch Ultra, which I wasn't expecting at all. Obviously, it's a titanium case. The setup wasn't completely flawless. There's a bit of a theme with Apple stuff at the moment. I went to pair it to my new thing, my, pair it to my phone, and it just sat there going, I'm doing something. On the, on the phone, it's going, this may take a few moments. Moments stretched into minutes, stretched into about 30 minutes, and I gave up and stopped it and started again, and then it went through properly. But I didn't think that was a great first run experience. And then trying to figure out, I'm obviously very stupid, trying to figure out how to attach. The, I, I don't even know. I think I've got the scuba diving strap as the one I've got. So the blue one. Yeah, you've got the ocean. I can't remember what they call it. But yes, the, 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 the diver strap. So unlike previous Apple Watches I've had, which have all had you know variations on the sport loop or, the, or things like that, where you sort of slide it through, clip it on, and then tuck the excess strap back under itself, which works really well. This is a more traditional watch strap where it's got notches and a, and a clasp. You put the notch thing like a belt through the, th- uh, through the clasp and it sort of sits against it. And then for the excess, you need to add an additional sort of binding thing, which just is a bit finicky and can get loose and you lock it in place. I don't know if your strap is the same. No, mine's the Alpine one that's got the G hook on it. So the hook just slots in. It's actually pretty good. I quite like it. Mine just gets a bit dirty, which yours probably won't because yours is designed to be washed probably a lot easier than mine. Other than that, I went on the Boxing Day dip with a lifeguard club I used to be a member of on Boxing Day. It sensed it was wet immediately and went into waterproofing mode, which my previous Apple Watch season of Series 7 didn't. So that was a step up. The battery- yeah, I think the, aut- the automation of that is new, yeah. that it will auto do that but the the same process for getting out of it remains the same yeah so that was good i quite like the new watch face it's a bit busy frankly but i quite like the new watch face i like the action button a lot the fact i can sort of tie that into you know i want to start a workout now which wasn't that difficult to do before if i'm honest but you know it's quite nice to have it there and so far i like the look of the battery it seems to have a lot longer battery life than the previous ones so uh, so far so good yeah, I think you're saying all the same things I like about it. I like the flatness of the screen. I like to have, it's nice to have something different on your wrist than the last five years or however long of Apple Watches have largely looked the same. So I think just a change has been quite nice, to be honest. Yeah, I go with that. So yeah, that, that was it for me for Christmas. Anything else for you? Yeah, well, one last question. Is it too chunky? What do you think? To be honest, I'm not really noticing it as being, it is a little more chunky, but I don't feel like it's badly so. You know, it's perfectly acceptable on my wrist. 
Yeah, exactly the same. So I think we're in the same place. The only thing I was going to just comment on is I did buy my wife an iPhone 14. So the phone you and I both said that nobody should really buy, we both end up buying for people. And she just wants a spare battery. It was a, a big thing because her other one was dying quite bad and wouldn't get through a day. So I bought that for her. The transfer process was a piece of cake. We just left it going for about an hour. And it did the phone-to-phone transfer and everything just kind of worked. It was fantastic. She seems very happy, but does need to go and buy a case, which hopefully comes tomorrow. But she's very pleased with it. it it's a bit quicker. The camera's a bit better. It, you know, it's, and it's got an amazing battery. So she, she is very happy. But I was pleasantly surprised that the transfer process worked really smoothly. Even her watch moved over properly. Fantastic. I haven't erased her old phone yet. I think I was, I'm going to do that this week because I just wanted to make sure everything was over and then she'll be all, all set. But what a nice bit of kit. Good. Oh, I'm glad. I've I've just thought one thing I wanted to feed back on a little bit. Actually, my air tags both complained, or two of my air tags complained about their batteries replacing. So I bought some new their watch batteries, CR two three hundred two, I think is what they are. Yeah, two two hundred three two. Sounds about right. Duracell ones to replace them with, and they didn't work because you need to buy ones that don't have a bitter coating, apparently. So just a little bit of consumer caution for you when it comes to change them make sure you buy the ones without the bitter coating which are designed to stop children eating them i think which is a good thing so why have apple made it so you can only use the ones without the bitter coating i don't know so that's not ideal yeah it seems a bit odd doesn't it yeah yeah not impressed but uh, there we are i hope I'm, I'm looking at this now hoping the dog hasn't gone off and eaten one of them no these have got the better coating we should be fine <laughs> yeah, the dog will be right then. so that was it anything else for the main show chris or are we done with that no, I don't think so. Not too much tech in our house this year. And children are still using their iPads. So yeah, not, not much to report, if I'm honest. I should probably say, did you get any Lego for the kids? And did they ask for any? My son had a Lego Chevrolet Camaro, which he wanted, which was his main thing he really wanted. And I may or may not have got the Back to Future DeLorean in Lego, which I'm quite looking forward to building. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, moving on then. My app of the week this week is an app called Shush. The link for it is in the show notes. For those of you that have heard me cough occasionally in the podcast, which I'm terribly, terribly sorry about, it's been bothering me for a while that I can't just mute my microphone without it interrupting the recording software that we use. So I've discovered this app. It's £4.99 on the UK App Store. And all it does is it lets you bind a key to a shortcut that I'll either push to talk or push to mute. So mine is set up push to mute. I hold down the option key, sorry, the function key on my laptop, and now it mutes my microphone. So hopefully you won't hear me cough very much anymore. I'm about to forget at some point. It's a very simple app. There's a very simple thing for a decent amount of money. It was an insta buy for me when I discovered it, and I'm very happy with it. No, it looks good. And I really like the website, by the way. It reminds me of a classic Mac app website, which is something we were just talking about. So uh, it looks good and it's nice to support something that's solving a problem. Absolutely. It scratches an itch for me anyway. So that's it. I do like that the uh, knowing issue says crashes on Snow Leopard. Just thought I'd mention that, which is 10.6 from, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. Well done for supporting something all that way back. Yeah, quite. Yeah, that's it. I think it's the end of the show. Shall we call it a day and let everybody get on with their Christmas in betweeny period? So if anybody wants to get in contact, reach out at drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. We're still on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. And we're both on Mastodon. Rod is a G5 maniac at mastodon.scot. And I am at underscore CJP at mastodon.social. Look forward to hearing from anybody out there. Do get in contact. And we'll see you in a week. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod.